No one steps in the same river twice. It's not the same river. It's not the same person. Heraclitus, 500 BC. Scriptures like that. That's why we like to reconsider our sermons. This is Pastor Mike with Adam Heath, and this is an almost weekly special edition to the ReChurch podcast. We call it Reflect. All right, here we are looking at Romans chapter five, Adam. How are you yeah. doing? I'm doing pretty good. First yep. week of school. First week of school. So we're drinking from the fire hose this week. But. Yeah, you got that from both sides. Like you're going back to school yourself and your kids are going back to school. And Yeah, although my wife probably bears the brunt of the, the kids going. How many are still home? One. Just one. Yeah. Pip. Pip is you got, home. You got a little Pip hanging out at home. Yep. I think she's loving it too. I bet she is. Okay. Um, I got to three things at the end of the message this last week that I wanted to get your thoughts on. And I, I didn't give it near enough time, um, which may be just um, God's plan, you know. Maybe. Our uh, theology would say for certain. For certain. It's a definite thing. It's a definite, thing. yes. Yeah. Okay, I said I wanted to talk about um, the nature of the law, the nature of the spirit, and the nature of hope. Yeah. The law we've talked about quite a bit. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Our, our whole history of faith was, look, if we can if we can do the law, we can please God and we can have our eternal security yeah. all wrapped up. And now we understand that, although we, maybe we don't understand it in its fullest form, Jesus has done something that means now it's no longer serves that purpose. Right. The law now is a ref- it re- gives us an understanding of how far off course we are and how much we need. Jesus and the grace of God. Yeah, I think that's pretty much how Paul would even describe it. He would basically say, yeah, the law did what it was supposed to do. The law was perfect in that it taught us that we needed a Savior. It's just that it couldn't ever be our Savior. Couldn't be our Savior. In short, the law is a mirror to our behavior, and we follow that with, and our behavior is a reflection of our heart. Yeah. God has always been about the heart. That's the problem he has. That's what Jesus' problem was with the Pharisees. He's not interested um, in our sacrifices, in our rituals, in our moral morals. It's a fruit. It's important. But what he wants is a heart from which it flows. Okay, that's the law now. It sits in this space of helping us find our way to grace and find mm. our way to Jesus. Okay, the spirit, in short, and then just give me whatever you're thinking about. The spirit does something within us. Jesus sends the spirit. It rejuvenates, regenerates our heart um, and is empowering us, for lack of a better word. And out of that heart, then the spirit is leading us into a life that is reflective of the moral law that is. But it's a fruit now. So it works its way where the law is working its way back to show you the heart. The spirit is indwelling us, empowering us and changing our hearts so that we can in reverse actually live a life that is pleasing to God. Yeah, a resurrected life. Mm. That's what it says in Ephesians, the same spirit, same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us, is regenerating us. Uh, So uh, I think that that's a good way to think about it. Um, This this resurrected life, regenerated, Mm -hmm. where we are bearing fruit that is indicative of life. Yeah. The only thing I didn't say was that the spirit also frees us. We I didn't use that word, but we used to be enslaved. A Christian used to be enslaved by the sin nature, by the the quote man. Sometimes Paul would refer to it that grips us and really forces us to. It gives us no alternative but to sin out of our sin nature, and the spirit 
and the death of Christ crucifies that man, takes him out, and now we have a new owner, a new king, and a new empowerment. So we're now we're we're also freed from that sin nature by the Spirit. Yeah, maybe that's just another way of talking about regeneration. Well, I think maybe because what is this freedom other than the freedom to experience life as it should be? So now I actually maybe am experiencing a rejuvenated or regenerated set of desires. Mm. Whereas before, uh, my desires might have been grating against the law, and that would have been maybe obvious at every turn. Maybe there's a way in which the Spirit's actually sort of regenerating those desires, bringing them into alignment to the way life should be. Yes. And so now I'm free to experience the way life should be. Not free to do just whatever I want. Yes. But now free in this pocket of experiencing life as it should be. Yeah, yeah. You said something about desires. And in Psalm 37 is says that essentially paraphrasing, God gives you the desires of your heart, which is oftentimes, in my opinion, misinterpreted to God will give you what what you want. Right. As opposed to what you just said, which is God by his spirit is actually giving you new desires. I think that's right. Yeah. You what you will want once you're made new, a new creature. Yeah. Uh, If I was going to use a metaphor to to kind of describe it, maybe uh, a musician's metaphor might work where let's imagine, for instance, you have this very, very skilled guitar player. Okay, And, you know, prior to. Um, some maturity in his life uh, prior to sort of growing through some of those teenage phases. Wait, this is an autobiography. It might not be. Or it might be. <laughs> no, I don't have this kind of skill, but I, sometimes I wish I did. Uh, imagine he, this guitar player has so much skill that he always tended to overpower the song, take over, make the song about the solo yes. he was playing. Yes. And uh, he's free to do that. And so he does. Yeah, uh, but it does damage to the overall right. impact of the song because everyone's like, "Okay, you're playing lots of notes, but what about the song?" Yeah. But imagine that same guitar player who has now a, a different, we might say, matured set of desires mm-hmm. to say, like, "I want to actually contribute to the whole. Mm-hmm. I want to fit into the design right. of this band in such a way that I'm contributing to something that is overall more beautiful than I could have achieved." Yeah. On my own. Yeah. The, the, that's kind of, I think, the way that the spirit regenerates us, where it's to say, uh, yeah, you're free, but not free just to dominate and do whatever. Mm-hmm. You're now free to fit in, mm-hmm. fit into the plan, fit into the story. Mm-hmm. The notes that you're playing are contributing to a to an orchestra that is yeah. more beautiful than whatever right. you could have produced on your own. Yeah, that's great. If I were to stretch that metaphor further, I would... I could commentate on how the church handles that person poorly. Yeah. Yes. We, everyone else on the team, and I've seen this dozens of times, there's always a person in the music world or in the choir or whatever that is blasting their giftedness over top of everybody else. And they actually feel like it's a gift from God. And so they should just blow it away. Right. You can either, you can control that with policies and frameworks and you turn their mic down and you tell them and if they don't calm down then they can't be in the choir right and that personal you'll frame them in with law right and get them to perform but that's not ideal no ideal it's not is that they would get it 
yes. they would suddenly that, that somehow in their heart they would be like, "I'm." It's not it, all of everything you just said, and that's the difference. We're looking for a heart change, not just behavioral constructs that push everybody into a box where everybody's behaving properly. That person still has the same desire, but they yeah. can't do it. I think that you nailed it that with the with the addition to that metaphor because we want their microphone to be turned up appropriately because God does have a plan. Mm-hmm. He gave that person a voice on purpose mm-hmm. with a purpose, but if we're only hemming them in with constraints, we're actually also sort of missing out on mm-hmm. what the Spirit does intend. Yeah. We're, we're losing it. Yeah, and we're missing out as a church on the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in that person's life. And that person's missing out too. Because yes, entirely. They, they didn't get to experience it as it was intended to be. They never experienced the church as it's intended to be experienced. And they never got to go, wow, look, look what God has done. When I was 17, I would have dominated that song and I would have distracted from it. Mm. But now that I'm 37 or whatever else, mm-hmm. I have seen that the spirit has brought me along mm. and I don't want to stand out. I want to contribute. Mm. And that's a core level change. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul would say impossible to find apart from the spirit, apart from the death of Christ, apart from faith. You can't generate that heart level change. Okay. Um, Let's move with the remaining time that we have to hope. Okay. I don't think we're going to be able to exhaust this subject. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. I think I'm right, too. What a dumb thing to say. In nine minutes, we're not going to fully be able to get hold of hope. But we can set the stage for another conversation. What caught my attention that I began to teach last Sunday was that hope isn't like this uh, binary acquisition where you have it or you don't. When you're a Christian, you get it. When you're not a Christian, you don't have it. There may be some definition of hope where that's true on some level, like we are established in Christ, we can't lose it, and so we hope on that. But the verse in Romans 5 says suffering produces perseverance or provides the groundwork for perseverance. Perseverance leads to character. Character leads to hope. And I've never thought of hope being the follow-on, the fruit, if you will, of suffering, perseverance, character. Yeah. The fruit. Char- it's your character that leads you to hope. Yeah, I wonder if we could even put our finger on what kind of character. Uh, I suppose we're already talking about it in the context of the spirit, but maybe it's also a sense of, and this may be how it's related to faith, but a sense of that says, I have a character that trusts God. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I can also enjoy this fruit of hope, and maybe yeah. even others around me can enjoy it. Yeah, because I think of hope is uh, maybe one way of defining it, at least, is to say that I believe God is going to fulfill His promises. Yeah, I, I trust that He's going to fulfill His promises, and I may have to get some clarity on what those promises are. Mm-hmm. But I trust that the promises that He has made, yes, will come true. Yes. It might be fair to say that, or it might, this isn't a, this isn't a bad attempt at a definition of character in this context is maturity. Yeah. Right. Spiritual maturity. I think so. Almost the same as character. Like how could you have faith in those 
promises without being spiritually developed. Right. Like that's a spiritual development to be even able to understand the promises like you said. That would even be mm-hmm. part of it. Spiritual thinking, spiritual understanding, spiritual maturity. And you believe all those things, you understand all those things, and now they evolve into, oh, this gives me great hope. Yeah, because in that process of maturity, uh, regeneration from the Spirit, I'm letting go of false hopes, mm-hmm. and now I can enjoy a, a reality that is uh, promised by mm-hmm. this, uh, where the Spirit's a down payment. I, I have a real hope, an authentic hope, uh, because I've been matured. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the, and then what follows is this question that, that what naturally follows is hope for what? Yeah. I have hope, but f- for what? I, I have noticed through a number of critically hard examples, not in my life directly, but those that I love dearly, they are giving up hope that God is going to change their circumstances or extract them from it. They have had hope in God that he would fix this Mm -hmm. like only he could and he's not. And so they're giving up hope. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking this is very instructive for me because I'm not sure the hope that we are supposed to have is related to what happens in this lifetime. I think you're right. I also think that the process they're going through is kind of similar to the process Paul went through. Mm-hmm. He had afflictions and maybe not to the same degree, but uh, I mean, he had some, right? Yeah. You mentioned them last Sunday, you know, snake bitten, shipwrecked, beaten, yeah. left for dead, actually literally left for dead. Yes. A couple of times. Yeah. And he does, you know, share his prayer life with us. And we do have a couple of glimpses for him praying that these things would change. He says, I prayed three times that this yeah. would be, but generally his prayer is more like, Pray that I would be steadfast, that we yes. would be faithful in right. the middle of the circumstance. He's praying for the change of the person mm-hmm. rather than the change of the circumstance. Yeah. yeah. And so what then, if we're not to hope for change in this world, and I'm not saying that's necessarily fully true, but if we were to make this a little bit black and white to try to sort our way through it, if you're not going to hope in God to intervene the way you would like or, or even seems right, or beautiful or good. If it's not going to do that, what are we hoping for? Yeah, because we we do have certain promises like Romans 8 where it says God's going to use all things for the good of those who love him. Mm-hmm. And it's just that we would really like that to be now. Yes. Or really like that to be in our yeah. lifetime. And I have to have a hope that says, listen, it may be actually true that that's generational. I imagine that my grandparents and great-grandparents persevered through, through certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that God could use them actually in my life and not in theirs. And then, uh, maybe it's true to say that I will persevere through things that a hundred years from now, through a random, what seemingly random series of events, God's purposes will come through. So I, I have to, uh, have hope that, uh, that God will bring about his future. Right. And it, it may not be that that future happens in my physical lifetime, mm-hmm. but it is uh, a future that is worth bringing about no matter what yeah. uh, short-sighted losses I may yeah. feel like I'm suffering. Yeah, that's good. You pushed it down the road a generation, but 
you didn't push it out of this world. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know that that's wrong. I'm just noticing. It. I think it's because of my theology. Which is what? Well, I, I know that many people think of heaven as a sort of different dimension or different reality. But right. I, I have hope that in the end, God will make this earth new. And that, that the, the new creation isn't so much a like, okay, that was the first try and we're yeah. trying again. Yeah. But rather making all things new that are already yeah. Right. in existence. And I, I, I think I have good reason to think that way because, you know, God created this universe and he called this one good. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it would be weird for him to give up on it. But I do kind of have this sense, like I, I have some idea of what heaven's like because I see things that are heavenly around me all the time. Mm-hmm. I wake up with the windows open and the birds are chirping and I can, you know, yeah. see the deep blue sky and the colors of the trees. And I think that's heavenly. Mm. And so I think of that as sort of a taste, uh, a a taste of the future. Mm -hmm. Um, I might even say, uh, like Jeremy Begbie, like, like I can sometimes breathe the fresh air of the future. Yes. Because there's these moments where I go, this is how it should Mm -hmm. be. I'm getting this glimpse, the foretaste. Yeah, that's good. I don't want you to feel isolated in your theology that way. We share that. I think that's our general theology as a church, yeah. too. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Right. So we think, okay, the resurrected life, the new life, he was raised to new life, wasn't brought back to this one. We're, he's first. We're following him yes. into some kind of physical, albeit we don't know exactly what it is, but we believe in a new earth, and that's true. Um, and it's good that you brought that, that to bear that way because it, it helps me not be so black and white with it. But what you're saying in general is that the suffering, the perseverance, and the character leads to a hope that God leads. It would, the, I'm asking the question, what is the hope for? And it is that God is doing something. Yeah. And what you're saying, it, it may not be in your lifetime. It could be in your kids. It could be generational. We do know that it's going to be all resolved at some point in the future when all things are put right. But there's a progressive possibility there where we have to look beyond ourselves is what you're saying in our own lives yeah. and realize God might be doing something in the future here. Yeah. Cause you, you might have the, the strong pull to say everything happens for a purpose, mm-hmm. but I think I'd rather say God brings purpose to everything that happens. And it's a, it's a nuance and it's different, but I'm, I'm just trusting that a God who's as good as the one that I've experienced and seen revealed in scripture and, seen the risen Lord, I, I have I have trust and hope that a God that good can take even something as terrible as a death on a cross and turn it into life. Mm-hmm. He can flip it on its head. Mm-hmm. If, not, not, that, not that he caused that death to happen. Right. Not that it was purposed by him, but that he brought purpose out of it. Yeah. So say your sentence again about purpose. Um, you know, the temptation for many people is to say everything happens for a purpose. And I'd rather say God brings purpose to everything that happens. Yeah. Yeah. You, what you did in the last part there is when I said, what do we hope for? We can certainly hope for resolution in the end. Shalom. All things put back the way they ought to be. We can also hope that God is up to something that's generationally meaningful or purposeful, but we can also look at our own life and know that 
that God is at the very least getting me through it, getting me through it. And he's, he's ordained that we would have an eternity to grow mm-hmm. into, uh, this, this, this beloved story that mm-hmm. he's writing. Yeah. Somehow we have to lean into this concept that the empowerment of the spirit within me, that, that maybe, maybe we can have eyes to see how the spirit is working to not necessarily change the world around me so much, but to bring purpose out of it or to bring character out of it or maturity or whatever, that there is something flourishing. Yeah. We have to begin to see it. Yeah. And if we have eyes to see it, wouldn't that bring hope to even our in-between experiences? 